show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Well, good morning, everybody. Bill is not with us today, and so I will be doing my own intro. This is a show today based on COVID. I figured it was time. There's so much things going on with COVID that we should talk a bit about COVID today. So um, my goal is to present some uh, interesting and challenging topics, and hopefully we will get some uh, feedback and discussions with this um, really interesting things that are going on with COVID currently. So what we see is that the BA4 and BA5 strain of, of the Omicron mutated version of the original virus is what's actually taking over the world. And there is some interesting information. I posted an article to the site about how these changes that have occurred in the virus make it actually less virulent, less severe, but it's still severe. It still causes and triggers problems for people, but it has an increased uh, a binding affinity to the receptor that allows it into the cell. And so that's why the uh, uh, infection is more infectious and easier to uh, for people to pick up, which is why it's spreading rapidly. Um, so we also have some information that uh, the vaccines are actually preventing some serious uh, illness and some death from New South Wales in Australia. Some very interesting information has come out about the vaccine efficacy. Um, they have a 95 to 97% uh, three shot coverage in New South Wales. And uh, last week there were reported 146 COVID-19 deaths. And so all 146 deaths were eligible for a third dose. So, so at least 95% uh, uh, of two shots, more eligible for third and fourth shots. But um, out of the 146, um, 100 had actually received the third dose. Um, and so what we're finding out is that these viruses are still killing people that have risk. So the people that are dying are over 65. Only five out of 146 were under 65. So we're looking at elderly people who have comorbidities. Obesity is still a very significant risk factor. And so is hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, other vascular disease, cancer, a tiny bump from autoimmune disease. Um, all of these things play into the risk for severe illness and death. So we need to be actually pushing a public health campaign to help people control these illnesses to get healthy because it's ill people that are having complications from these. And therefore, what we're seeing is um, 
a lot decreased death, probably because of the availability of vaccines that do mitigate, but we're seeing most death occurring in people that are at risk. So we need to get people that are at risk the most care. Uh, another article suggests that the um, Omicron sublineages are really able to evade the neutralizing antibody, which is the antibodies that are made by prior immunity. And so we're having some difficulty with having the um, uh, uh, prior vaccines catch the current iteration because it has changed so significantly from the prior um, iterations of the virus from which the template for the vaccine was made. Speaking of vaccines, Novavax has been officially given its emergency use authorization. Again, it's not a, an approval of a drug. It is an emergency use authorization. And so the um, uh, that means that it is uh, available until the FDA decides it's not available, similar to the way it did with the uh, monoclonal antibody that was used a lot here in Florida. Um, so I posted a link to that approval so you can see what it talks about. It's approved as a primary vaccine. It's not approved as a booster. Uh, people have been asking for it, can it be used uh, as a booster, but that's not available as yet. And we have um, one episode uh, or one, one article that actually shows that there is um, good evidence for boosting antibody production. Um, and here's an interesting thing. Um, as a booster, it produces less transient less transient systemic reactogenicity, uh, which is the reaction that people get to the shot of any kind of shot, any kind of vaccine. You get a shot in the arm and you tend to get a little bit of a fluish symptom in many cases because the uh, vaccine increases the uh, uh, body's immune response in general. So you get a systemic feeling like you've been sick. With the Novavax, it seems it's less intense than with um, a boost from the mRNA. However, you get as good or better um, antibody production from the Novavax because it's been reformulated. And it's a different kind of medication. Novavax's product is not mRNA. They actually use mRNA in the production, but it's done in the laboratory. And they use a special process where they use mRNA to trigger some caterpillar cells to create the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. So it produces the spike protein, kind of like the way we produce different proteins when we're making influenza vaccines and making pneumonia vaccines. And so we're actually injecting the body with some proteins to cause an immune response rather than injecting with mRNA that directs our cells to make the protein to make the immune response. We already have the protein there in the Novavax product. And I've given you several articles there about how um, it does produce antibodies. So we have evidence that it actually produces the antibodies and that it produces enough neutralizing ones. So it actually blocks the infection. Um, and then it's not approved 
yet for boosting because the efficacy trial is still ongoing. They're at phase three. It should happen soon. So uh, I just want to remind everybody that we are on WMNF 88.5 FM Tampa, and uh, we are actually doing the Healthy Steps radio show right now. And it would be really useful to um, consider that we are in the midst of a matching fund drive. And anytime you could drop something in the tip jar, that would be beautiful. But um, you can email us to talk at DJ at WMNF.org. And I believe we have our first caller. I think Gary is on the line. Okay. Um, Hi, Gary. Hi. Hi, Doc. I'm a little bit confused. Um, Yes. I was ready to get my second booster. Should I wait till the fall to get the... I did to make sure because I get so much information now. I should wait till the fall to get the second booster because it'll, it'll cover, uh, I guess, um, future future um, viruses and all that. Is that correct? Well, that's that's a good question, and I'm not sure that we're going to see um, a lot of changes in the shots, but. What I understand is they're working on, and I think that the Novavax did include some updated um, um, data, essentially, um, and so that the Novavax probably contains some either early Omicron or Delta or some other variant than the original one that came from Wuhan that we have the shots for. But um, if you've had three shots, and you are um, looking for another one. Um, Novavax isn't it. The other ones are still there, but you could wait. And and it, what this data is already showing is that if you've had three shots, you are very much less likely to die and you're very much less likely to have an adverse event. And there are treatments available. And so you could wait and then know if you do get ill that there are FDA-approved therapies and alternative therapies. We've talked about alternative therapies numerous times, and there are um, uh, interesting things available that the FDA has approved. So they've repurposed some drugs, kind of like the alternative community has repurposed ivermectin. It's already an approved FDA drug. It's not a horse pill, and it is uh, actually proven in clinical laboratory testing to actually inhibit the replication of coronavirus, published data, and we have the mechanism of action through a molecule called important. And so any discussion about how um, uh, ivermectin doesn't work becomes rather confusing because the studies they've created to prove that it doesn't work were created to prove that it doesn't work. Whoever's heard of stopping treating a virus after three days? That's what the TOGETHER trial did. Even in influenza, they use um, uh, it's called uh, Tamiflu. Um, they use that drug for five days. So I don't know why they stopped therapy at three days for this one, other than possibly wanting to sabotage the efficacy results. But there are some things on the market. Remdesivir is an HIV antiretroviral drug called Vecluri. People who take it um, had a, in one study, had a 50% better chance of recovery at 15 days and may recover five days sooner. There's no evidence that it changes death. 
Another one called baricitinib, Illumiant, that is a FDA-approved drug for rheumatoid arthritis. And it is um, an interesting drug called a JAK inhibitor. It works on the active part of the immune system. And the, uh, the part that it's looking at is the, um, um, the triggers, they're cytokines. And so cytokines actually help to promote more inflammatory activity. And we want to try and reduce that amount of inflammatory activity because that's what COVID is. And so when we have a, a medication like this that treats rheumatoid arthritis, which is an ongoing inflammatory condition, we find that it actually has some ability to repurpose here. So some of the adverse consequences of long-term use, not necessarily the short-term for treating a virus, serious infections, we're treating an infection, cancer, major cardiac events, blood clots, allergy, stomach or intestinal tears with bleeding. So, you know, you have to remember everything that we do in medicine has a risk-benefit ratio. So with three shots on board, if you're serious enough uh, in, in, in issues with this illness, uh, hospitalization is necessary in many cases. And these are the medicines that are used in hospital um, because you don't want to be doing this outpatient because you're on a touch and go situation at that point. The other answer. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, you. I. I well, glad to talk. If you get um your second booster, yeah, do you qualify as another booster in this fall? Honestly, if you've already had four, I don't know what the story is. I think that what I hear from the um, experts is that this will be an ongoing, every four to six month shoot 'em up event for the rest of our lives. Um, I really don't know what's actually going to happen. You know, if the coronavirus uh, continues to mutate and become less virulent, like most coronaviruses, if you remember, coronavirus is 30% of all colds every year. This is just a unique, special mutated coronavirus that is more severe. And so that gives us some uh, thought there. Do we need another or do you just need more treatment? Do we need to uh, get all of the preventive things on board that help? And um, do we want to uh, do some outpatient treatment like with fluvoxamine? Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But Gary, any other questions? No, thank you. You've spent a lot of time with me. Thank you. Glad to. Jerry's on the line now. Um, first of all, let me say, I think you guys are doing a great job. So I don't, I don't hear an address to the question that I ask all my friends and family. What's that? Um, so if you don't want, if you don't want to answer the question, I will totally understand. <laughs> I will totally understand. But I would like to. <laughs> so as a, it's a preface. So, so, it, almost it's almost it's almost something I would like to hear prior to any further discussion on this topic. Whenever anybody talks about it, because it gets very to a layperson, it gets very convoluted. And and let me just quote you. You said something. Shoot them up for the rest of our lives that something to that effect so that's the question so it so if you can briefly address that whether or not you believe this was a man-made derivative and yes i mean if they can do it once they can do it 
multiple times, and that's it. Do we just we'll just if you just preface people that this is going to be a from a medical perspective something that will continue for the rest of our lives. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Thanks. thanks You're welcome, Jerry. So, okay. so um, what um, what we know about it is that the current thought oh, is that everybody yeah, needs I'm gonna, shots. I'm going to go, I'm going to go offline. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. Um, so we, we know that um, people are um, um, scared about this and a bunch of the fear is coming from the fact that we haven't actually had a very clear message about what actually is happening. And that's really sad because public health knows what's going on and they can explain to us that we have um, specific people who are actually having trouble with this. Um, and, and those are the people at risk. We know that the people at risk are over 65. Most of the ones that have died are over 80. They have comorbidities and I've mentioned them. And so somebody under 60 with no comorbidities is really not at the same level of risk as other people. Um, I question because I haven't seen good data on whether or not the shots actually help somebody very much with no other risk. And, and that makes me wonder why we would continue going on administering this to everybody. It makes sense to me to actually um, really take care of this with um, protecting the people at risk. Anybody who's at risk should consider doing an immunization. I'm not saying they have to, but it's worth considering because it can mitigate death and severe illness. That seems to make sense to me. There are risks from taking it, but frankly, for somebody who's in the risk groups, they're at higher risk from COVID than they are from the shot based on what the studies show in most cases. However, there are also treatments out there and we can use the treatments too. Um, you know, we have the evidence from New South Wales that 95% three shots or two shots at least, most of the country is triple shot up in Australia because they enforced it. And so what we're seeing is that herd immunity is a myth. We're not stopping transmission with these shots. So I don't see a purpose for ongoing shots. We need better medications. We need to actually trust the non-government, um, um, non-pharma experts who are talking about you know meds that are off patent meds that don't cost a million bucks a piece. I mean, fluvoxamine. Fluvoxamine has evidence that it works, published clinical data. And treatment with fluvoxamine, 100 milligrams twice a day for 10 days among high-risk outpatients with early diagnosed COVID reduced the need for hospitalization defined as retention in a COVID-19 emergency setting or transfer to a tertiary hospital published in the Lancet. Very well-respected magazine. And then another study in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. You know, you go here for truth, they say. So these findings suggest that fluvoxamine, a widely available and inexpensive treatment for outpatients with COVID-19, was associated with reduced hospitalization. I have a question for all the experts, for the CDC, for the FDA, for 
every state medical board that disciplines people for using FDA approved medications that have proof that they work. Why? Why are you denying treatment to people? This is really sick. This is very twisted. Why can't we use cheap available medication as low adverse consequences? No, instead, we get emergency use authorization for Paxlovid. My statement on that is, wow, just wow. How did that make it through? Significant hypersensitivity reactions. Warning, do not co-administer with drugs that are highly dependent on cytochrome 3A. Cytochrome 3A is a enzyme in the liver that clears medications. It detoxifies things. And as we detoxify these things, um, things can get kind of lined up. So if you have this medication that can be toxic if it doesn't get metabolized, lining up with these other medications or lined up with medications that can't be disturbed, you can kill people. President Biden had to come off two medications to take Paxlovid. It interferes with blood thinners, uh, 120 different medicines, and they just updated this so that pharmacists can prescribe it. But pharmacists can't prescribe it if there's more important things going on with medications and they need to change medications. The pharmacists can't change the other medications. So there's going to be a significant amount of people pharmacists can't give this to because they're on too many medications that have important drug interactions, 25 different classes. But we can't actually access fluvoxamine for this. They won't talk about it, even though it is probably as effective as Paxlovid. There's a real problem. We have a caller, Celia. Ah, hello. Hi there, Celia. Um, I actually have a question about masks, and if you've already talked about that, speak up, and I and I'll go back and catch the first part of the show. I just thought no, go ahead, ask. We haven't talked about it. Okay, so I'm um, a team leader for one of the primary for the upcoming primary election. So we're going to be wearing masks because that's what the supervisor of election has decided. Yes. So I'm wondering. So. And as you know, when you go and vote, the, the person who processes the, the, your, address, your driver's license and gives you your ballot is seated, and you're yes. standing. So yes. should I be encouraging people to wear masks and face shields? You know, since the, the voter who is, I don't know, potentially ill is, like, standing over them, or is just a mask enough? Well, that's an interesting question about masks. So there was a large Danish study that looked at people wearing masks. And so um, around them, a lot of people weren't wearing masks. What they found was the group of people that wore masks while most of the population wasn't wearing masks had no effect. It did not change outcomes for the people wearing the masks because... At the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people weren't wearing them. What further studies have shown is that masks have an ability to reduce some infection. Um, the best one is an N95. But the real issue is that someone who has the infection needs to really wear the mask because you're going to catch particulate in the mask and reduce their spread. And that's why when you're looking at a large population study, you don't always see good results because a lot of people are spreading it and not knowing it. And now that we have many people with injections, um, those people will spread it asymptomatically. And actually, there's one suggestion in one small study that 
people who have injections may actually spread the active virus longer. And so masking is important in one specific area and probably could be ignored everywhere else unless you have immune compromise. And then I would say wear a mask. But the one significant area where masks have the most effect is in a clinical setting where you're exposed to high dose inoculum. In other words, you're in a COVID patient's room, you're going to have higher COVID in the room. So you want to wear a mask and maybe even gloves, possibly a gown and, and the face shield. In other situations, I don't believe that we have evidence that they are that effective. But if you want to wear them and you're forced to wear them, wear them. I just wouldn't actually, I've never seen any actual proof that face shields do anything, except in oh. the OR to prevent blood from getting in your face if there's a problem. Okay. All right. Thanks. I think part of the reason that they're encouraging us to use masks is because most of us are, I'm sorry, we're geezers and geezerettes. But, uh, yeah, so you're at risk and it does make sense. But really, the best thing for anybody who's older should just get shots if you really want to do that. And also make sure you have the other preventive things on board. You know, um, the FLCCC has a prevention protocol that includes vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and quercetin and things like that. A couple of different uh, groups are out there with these recommendations. They probably mitigate it because these things actually turn down the immune response. And it's really actually not the infection for most people that's actually killing them. It's the immune response. So if we treat okay. our body right and keep the immune response down, we do much better. That's why hydroxychloroquine mitigates the symptoms. It stops the inflammation. That's why these uh, rheumatoid arthritis drugs mitigate because they stop the inflammation. Well, it would be easy for me to bring some extra orange juice or something with vitamin C. So I'll do that. Okay. I would get a, I would get a vitamin C supplement or eat a solid orange. The juice is too much sugar. Okay. I'll bring oranges. There you go. Good choice. Right. Thanks a lot, Dr. Harvey. I like your show and I appreciate you helping us all out. Thank you so much. I love it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I just wanted to remind everybody we are on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Uh, you can get into us here at DJ at WMNF.org or give us a call. Um, you can text the DJ actually at 813-2, what is it? I lost it. That went out of the way. There we go. Text the DJ 433-0885 and the on-air studio is... Two three nine nine six six three. So uh, we have um, actually uh, another email. Uh, I've gotten out of the habit of masking when I'm in a crowded store, like a grocery store or big box. Would I recommend that we get back to masking? I think I've actually addressed that. I don't think it ever really worked in the big box. I don't even think that directional arrows on the floor really did all that much because not everybody was wearing masks. So we have um, also something that hasn't been addressed very well by the press, something that hasn't been very well addressed by any of the experts, but it should be and it will be because it's real. It's called natural immunity. We've all thought about it. We've been told that it's not very good for this, supposedly. However, Nature, one of the most respected medical 
publications on the planet has produced some very interesting information. Protection against severe reinfection remains very strong. This is for an Omicron infection, by the way, with no evidence for waning, irrespective of a variant and the Omicron variants for over 15 months, 14 months after primary infection. So we're looking at very powerful, strong, natural immunity that lasts for 14 months at least. So within that 14 months after your Omicron infection, there's virtually no need to consider a booster because you're boosted. The CDC published some data from last year that showed, and I need to search for this one, I didn't put it on the website yet, but um, it showed a, uh, a curve over the, the last eight months of 2021. It showed that people that didn't have any injections had the most hospitalization, the most severe disease. And the people that had vaccinations had two-thirds to three-quarters less than that. But at the very bottom, with almost zero reinfection and zero severe disease um, and zero death, were the two groups of people who had prior infection and one had vaccines and one didn't. And there was absolutely no difference between their severity and death issues. So we know that natural immunity works. CDC has proven that. And so if you've had an Omicron infection, we have now evidence, uh, Medrick's uh, uh, dot, uh, uh, dot org just produced a new article that says that effectiveness of a previous pre-Omicron infection against the BA4, BA5 was only 15%. So if you got a Delta or an early alpha, any of those other ones, you're not really going to have protection. But of a previous Omicron infection, regardless of BA1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you are 76 to 79.7% affected, almost 80% um, protected against BA4, BA5, the major strains going around now. So I'm not advocating you ignore this, but your protection is really good. It's likely you'll have minimal symptomatic disease unless, and here's the caveat, unless you are in a risk group. And that's the 20% failure, I would think, that is coming from this study. So it's 80% of the people are protected for 14 months from a previous Omicron infection for any future Omicron. Now, remember, we can have further deterioration. We can have um, a, a change in the virus that would result in a new iteration that isn't protected. But at least right now, the dominant strains we're protected against if we've had an Omicron infection. I have an email. Good morning, Dr. Harvey. I had a bad reaction from the single COVID shot last year. That would be the Johnson & Johnson. If you notice, the Johnson & Johnson isn't making the rounds much anymore. I'm still trying to get over my reaction from that situation. I have not gotten any boosters because I'm afraid what will happen. What to do? My doctor is no help, said I should not have gotten any shot. Same with my acupuncturist who is helping me deal with the effects of the shot. So that brings up a couple of different thoughts. Um, should not have gotten. Uh, there are some general contraindications to getting the shot. 
but they aren't necessarily um, um, absolute unless you've had a reaction to a specific component of the vaccine, things like that. So if you're in a risk group, um, it may make sense to consider one. However, because the, the, the Johnson & Johnson works completely differently from the other ones, it actually infects you with a virus to deliver the medication. But um, I understand your hesitation because you got a viral infection that that produced this response, um, and and so what what what's next? Um, so what what this probably triggered is something that I'm going to extend the show into next week because we didn't really quite get uh, we don't have enough time to talk about long COVID, but I think long COVID is associated with the post injection reactions because you've triggered an ongoing issue with inflammation. And I believe that long COVID is related to something that many of us in functional medicine are dealing with called SIRS, systemic inflammatory response syndrome. It triggers inflammation in the body and it's a feed forward mechanism where you continue to stay inflamed. And so we need to step that down. So your acupunctures can help with the needles and some herbs. Um, your uh, doctor could help possibly with some uh, hydroxychloroquine. But if you go to the FLCCC website, they have some uh, uh, protocols for post-injection syndrome as well as post-COVID syndrome. Another email. I have several friends personally that have had all the vaccines and are around 40 years of age with no health issues. They sloppily didn't wear masks in group environments and got sick. Didn't die possibly due to having uh, vaccinations or possibly due to the fact that they're 40 and this is a, a cold virus. Um, uh, this lady is also 69 and she wears a mask in public. She's gotten all of her vaccination and she never got COVID. She takes uh, some preventive D, Bs, probiotics and zinc. And that's a good thing. Uh, I think it really makes a lot of sense to be proactive. She's over 60. She got shots. She's wearing a mask. And so She's done a good job protecting herself. Congratulations, Annie. Bernadette is on the phone. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm calling because um, I'm curious. I have a theory, and I'm not medical <laughs> expert or anything, but I know of a couple people. Um, one was is um, 73. He's never gotten COVID. Never. They um, they're not opposed to vaccinations, but they they didn't they don't get flu ones, and so they never did. But um, he's a vegetarian. He's never gotten it. Um, then the, his partner is in her sixties. Plus he is a cancer survivor. His mm -hmm. partner is in her sixties and she had asthma. She didn't get it either. Didn't get a vaccination either, but she got a light case of it. So I'm just curious whether, has there been any studies? They probably aren't doing studies. I mean, they really are pushing a pharmaceutical end, but I'm just curious if there's people that don't eat meat and then get the the dangerous additives of meat that can hurt your immune system. I, you know, that's two people I know. I mean, I don't know. Yes. Back so of I, a lot of people, but I just happen to know this. And so I'm just curious whether there's been any studies about vegetarians are safer. I mean, they take their vitamin D3 and all that stuff too. So 
Yes. Uh, you know, it, I have not seen anything specifically written about vegetarians and this virus. Um, I think that uh, there can be healthy and there can be ill vegetarians and uh, there can be healthy and ill um, uh, omnivores. Um, when you mentioned the meat, um, yes, it's much smarter to buy local organic grass finished meat um, that's available locally here in Sarasota, probably in Tampa as well. Um, and almost all over the country, you can find a local farmer who does pastured chickens and gives you pastured eggs for a V. Um, I really think that putting better food in, um, whether it's animal or plant product, is a better choice. You can be a vegetarian and eat uh, crackers and, and soy cheese and, and live on that and be really ill. <laughs> right. So, but yes, I believe that eating more plants is a absolute key to good health. I try to strive personally for six to eight servings of vegetables a day because I just know what it does for my body. And yeah, I think vegetarians probably have more calm immune systems, so might respond to this better. Okay, I was just, just wondering if there's ever been bothered to study about that. Like, because I know they don't really look at diet as like you do, where it's yes. actually better for you to get a better diet than to just eat anything and then just take a bunch of pills. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you. You're welcome, Bernadette. Bye. Have a good day. Just to remind everybody, this is WMNF.org, 88.5 Tampa. You can. Email us at dj at wmnf.org, text at 813-433-0885, or call us at 813-239-9663. Um, looking for some more engagement today. And I have some right here. Alexandra sent an email. I have received two COVID vaccines. And from listening to the show, I'm wondering whether or not to take the third. I am not in a risk group age, almost 50, and no underlying condition. Same for my teens. Appreciate your show. Honestly, I really personally would not be taking it. I'm not going to advise you specifically, but I've done my research and um, I will admit you already know I skipped a show because I had Omicron. Um, it was a lousy 10 days. Only two days of real severe fatigue for 10, three weeks of coughing up mucus. Um, sorry about sharing too much information, but it, it was a cold. I got through it. Many people will, but there's many people at risk and they need access to these medications too. Keeping things on hand like hydroxychloroquine, fluvoxamine, um, uh, ivermectin and herbs and vitamins that actually have been shown to have effect make sense. Another email. What are my thoughts on Latipo's take on COVID? He seems kind of suspicious, and I don't take that term lightly, asks Bubba. Well, actually, initially, I thought Dr. Latipo was making some crazy statements, and some of them were, um, honestly, early on. He was a little too cavalier from the beginning. However, um, one or two of those statements has actually panned out to be sort of okay, and a couple of others not. I'm not going to go into details there, but currently, his take on um, not injecting children is perfectly spot on. What risk does a zero to five-year-old have? 0.000009% chances of dying. It's, it's, it's nil. It's like one in a million might die. Is it worth it to risk your child's health by getting this shot that may alter their immune system forever with no chance of fixing it? 
is it worth it to do that in this age group who don't die and who don't transmit and who don't get severe disease? Now, I will qualify that by saying if your child is in a risk group and has heart, lung, kidney, diabetes, liver, immune, cancer, any problems, comorbidities are a risk. So please consider it, but also consider that there's medicine out there and you need treatment as well as prevention. And they're hiding the treatment because I wouldn't put Paxlovid in a little kid. <laughs> it's a little bit frightening. And I don't think any kid's going to get that severe because that's a hospital-associated medicine. But fluvoxamine means outpatient. I'm not giving you doses on that one. I'm not even sure it's appropriate for kids. But kids aren't getting sick. So what are we doing? Where are we going? We have a caller, Jerry. Thank you again. Um, uh, so first of all, I want to thank you um, for the show. And I think you indirectly supported the local farmer for natural food. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so you've done that. But thank you very Are much. Are you a farmer? I certainly am. So, Fabulous. So thank you. Certainly am. Well, hey, you know what? You're a hey. frontline worker, man. You no, know, we used to be 97% of the population. You probably knew that. So, yes, so exactly. That's what we did. So, so, but the question when, is, when, Hey, hey, Jerry, yeah. when can we do that again? Don't you think everybody anytime, should have anytime. a plot in their own yard or on their anytime. patio? Well, 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 we're, well, actually, that's part of my question. So, so other, other societies do that. Sweden does that. Germany does that. Yes. All, a lot of Europe does that. So my question is, you've already referenced Europe. So in your, in your view, with your experience, what would you say that are the top three countries that have it down? And, and I'll take my call offline, okay? Sure, so sure. Thank you for that. that. Have this down beyond, far beyond what we have, or do they? That's the question, okay? Yes. Okay, thanks. You're very welcome, Jerry. Thanks. Great talking okay. with you. So, um, actually, one um, um, country that has stood out, and they were mavericks from the beginning uh, and didn't do any of the enforcement, is Sweden. And now they do have a unique and isolated culture there, but it's a big country. They have a lot of people and they did very well with their approach. And I think a lot of their people ended up getting natural immunity. Um, and they also have a very natural way of living. So does Norway. The Scandinavian countries actually um, do taxing and uh, uh, structuring the right way. They support their society so well. Uh, the Danish people are about the happiest people on the planet. And so um, Scandinavia has really impressed me. England has distressed me. France has distressed me. Germany has distressed me. They are not approaching this the right way. And uh, neither has Italy. Um, that was pretty scary in the beginning. Uh, I don't know what they were doing there. And of course, south of the equator, um, Australia and New Zealand went over the top. And now New Zealand's getting their infections. Um, it's just not been handled well. I, I really like the European attitude. Um, about um, much of healthcare. And um, so, yes, thanks, Jerry, for that. Clay is on the line. Morning. Hello, Clay. Good morning, Doc. Thanks for the show. You're um, welcome. A couple of questions that uh, probably have changed for you, and uh, they're directed towards you because I try to emulate you in my care for myself. Since... Um, uh, listening to the show so far, you're not wearing a mask anymore when you go into public places? No. Okay. But you've had the Omicron, uh, you, 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 you have natural immunity now, right? I do. 
So you don't intend to get the Novavax shot? I don't intend to get any vaccines for this because I survived it. I have immunity and I have treatment and the treatment works. Okay. Well, I, I haven't ever gotten vaccinated with any of the things. I was waiting on the Novavax. And I was too, and now I'm not really interested. <laughs> well, and, but, but you have good reason. My yes, and, and, and if you haven't had COVID, I don't see a real, I think Novavax, as of all of them, is the safest if they will actually give it emergency use for primary vaccine, or they actually they have. So you can get Novavax if you want it, um, and if you're in a risk group, it doesn't make uh, a, a bad sense to go and do that. Well, in the risk group, I guess it's just uh, my age. I'm 67, soon to be 68 years old. Yeah. So, um, With no other health concerns, yeah, that's a minor risk. Um, if you're over 80, I'd say it's the much bigger one. But still, you are in one of the groups that has increased risk of death and severe disease. Well, and I take a lot of supplements to boost my immune system. Um, I used to have uh, regular – I used to teach chess to children. And oh, wonderful. Those, um, my doctors gave me a hard time about it, but I never got the influenza vaccines. I never got those yes. because we were actually a vaccine for the year before and didn't seem like it made much sense to get something for something that's already come and gone. Um, yes. And I really haven't had any problem being sick. And, and as you know, kids will expose you to more things than you'll ever see anywhere else. They sure <laughs> will. <laughs> so, all right. So, did you have a second question? No, that, that was that was it. I was just wondering whether you know plan on getting it now, uh, and I, I yeah. uh, really pretty much had answered those myself. But I wanted to hear it from you. I still mask in public, though. That's uh, fine. I, I have no. I, I don't. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. It, it's it could help you. It's the 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 evidence is plus minus, but it seems to go more to the plus. So I have no problem with anybody wearing a mask. Um, the only one that looks weird is when you're driving around alone in a car. Right. Well, yeah. Or walk around outside <laughs> with a mask on. I don't, I don't see that yes. right But that too. <laughs> that's that's the Danish study. Walking around outside with a mask is absolutely valueless, according yeah. to the Danish study. No, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, you know, when you're outside, it's not the problem. The only time I do it is when I go into crowded areas where there's crowds of people. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's total sensical. Yes, do that. All right. Well, listen, again, thanks for your show. You're doing a great job. Peace be upon you and stay healthy. Peace, Clay. Have a great day. Dan is on line one. Yeah, hey, doctor. Uh, I just was wondering when you're talking about vaccines for children and whatnot, um, are they you planning to use like an attenuated virus in, in children or are they going to use uh, also mod the modified DNA? I would think the attenuated would be, you know, more better, would be better for their immunity uh, and immune system uh, in the long haul. I'm you brought up a good point, Dan. So what we found out with the attenuated virus, that's the, the Johnson & Johnson, that caused um, uh, myocarditis in teens. I wouldn't give it to a dog. Um, and so, no, there won't be any attenuated virus. Now, Novavax is actually a purified protein derivative of spike protein, and the um, um, Moderna and Pfizer are both mRNA, um, uh, uh, and that is the um, uh, thing that's going to signal your body to make the spike protein. And so, um, really, I, I have not yet seen any valuable, valid data on why we would do an immunization for children who are not in a risk group or teens who are not in a risk group. I am not seeing that that's an issue based on the data of the frequency of severe illness and death in those groups. I think the vaccines have a much higher risk than actually getting 
the disease according to the statistics. Hmm. All right. Well, that, that kind of answers the question. You know, I, I, the reason I brought it up is you said at one time the uh, immunity in the child would be changed forever. And I'm not sure what vaccine you'd be talking about, like the uh, mRNA vaccines that would do that. I would think an attenuated virus would just give you, a, like, again, a 14-month or so um, immunity. Well, the attenuated virus actually delivers mRNA. And, and then you do the same thing you do with the mRNA shots. And you, you get um, immunity that lasts possibly four months, uh, something like that. Because it's not actually an attenuated coronavirus. It's an, actually a human adenovirus that uh, has been used for many years to deliver vaccines. And so uh, Johnson & Johnson just repurposed an old one and inserted new uh, DNA into that virus so it could actually provide the mRNA to make the spike protein. So they took this adenovirus and edited its genome and put into it coronavirus genes. And then that's what they inject into people. So it's causing a different reaction than the mRNA. Well, that's interesting. I guess, you know, I, I would have thought that the attenuated, I didn't realize it was an adenovirus. I thought it was, again, coronavirus attenuated. And I would have assumed that would be more realistic immunity to the virus, I guess. Yes, um, uh, but it but it, it's a different it virus, so it's that, different. It, it, it was the adenovirus that caused the uh, inflammation, the cardiac inflammation. Uh, yes, the Johnson and Johnson attenuated adenovirus. Right. All right. All right. Let me answer some questions. Yes. Thank you. Glad to help. Have a good day, Dan. Jeff is on the line. Hey. Good morning. Right here. You, yes, sir. How are you feeling, Jeff? Oh, I'm fine, sir. Uh, I I just wanted to call in and tell you that uh, I got the J and J. I I took two of them. Okay. And so you got J and J for the booster too. Yes, sir. Okay. And but but see the thing about it was I was in the Air Force for 14 years. And I got shots for stuff you can't even catch here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and you know it's it's like one of them uh, one of them guys that handle reptiles, and you get bit enough, you <laughs> you can't catch. It. <laughs> so how old are you, Jeff? <laughs> Sixty. Sixty, yeah. So you're just grazing the edge of the first risk group, um, um, oh, and so yeah, I, I, I know, man. I, I, yeah. Hey, if if it comes down to it, I'll wear my mask, Doctor Harvey. But I'm that's a good glad. idea. Yeah, I'm glad that y'all are here. When this thing started, we didn't even know how to bring food out of the grocery store. <laughs> so true. Remember so that? true. Yes. Y'all put it on one side of the table, decontaminate, and put it on the other side of the Yes, table. and then we found out that it doesn't get transmitted by touch, so we gave that up. <laughs> Jeff, um, I'm so glad you called in today. I have another caller on the line. Yes, sir. I'll have a good day. Thank you for what you do. I love Thank you, sir. All right. Hello, Robin. 
Hello, good morning, and thanks for all your wisdom and info. I appreciate your show so much. My question is, um, I just got over a, a case of COVID. It was pretty mild. Uh, I did get a immunization, uh, not immunization. I did get the yeah immunization, the uh, Pfizer. So okay. I, I handled it pretty well. My question is this. I know I have some immunity buildup. How important is it to keep our immune system, our immune response strong? Because I, I take that. What is it called? The S the uh, oh the, the things that you recommend I take. Okay, the natural support. Yes, I think it's really important yeah. for all of us to do that all the time because it helps to modulate the immune system, keep it calm, and at the same time ready to respond to an illness. It keeps it balanced, and um, so. Other things that help keep the immune system balanced, good water, good sleep, good relationships, um, all those things can really help to keep things stable. All right. Well, I think that, I think it served me well. All those things you just mentioned served me well and got me through in pretty pretty quick order. So appreciate you, and that you have a great rest of your week. Thank you, Robin, and you have a great one, too. Okay. Bye-bye uh, there. Bye-bye. Mark B. in Northport wanted to ask about whether he should get a fourth shot. Um, and actually, there is a fourth shot. Some people are recommending it. I'm recommending it for people that have risk factors if they want to take it. In the meantime, we are coming up to the top of the hour. And I just want to thank um, uh, everybody who's been working at the station today. Greg, in Bill's absence. Uh, I, maybe Clark is answering phones. I hope so. And next week, we'll be talking long COVID and its relationship to systemic inflammatory response syndrome. Long COVID is really important and uh, some people get it, some people don't. We should talk longer about it. Have a great week. Love you all. There's no party like a house party, and the best house party is heard right here on WMNF. The Saturday Night House Party is heard Saturdays from 8 to 10 p.m. and hosted by yours truly, DJ Sinflow. The best in old school dance music, hip-hop, soul can be heard on the house party. So tune in and let us bring the party to you, the Saturday Night House Party.